Welcome to the 183rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Roberto Costantini, author of the thriller novel, The Deliverance of Evil. Stay tuned for the interview. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Roberto Costantini, author of the new thriller novel, The Deliverance of Evil. The best-selling author Jeffrey Deaver wrote about The Deliverance of Evil, a nonstop thriller. Bravo. Roberto, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, uh, at the beginning, I wondered if you could just read the first couple of pages uh, from your new novel. Okay, if if nobody gets scared about it, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. That's great. So the first the first intro, uh, the date is the 9th of July of 2006. The date is important, The Invisible Man. If things had gone differently on that first occasion, perhaps I wouldn't have killed all the others. I often wondered about this at the beginning. After all these years, I don't even know how many I killed anymore. And the question has changed. Would I be a better person if I had killed only her in a single moment of madness? Today, I no longer hate the women I kill. After so many years, they're only rag dolls. What I hate are the men full of wisdom, the men who pontificate. Any one of them could have found himself in my place that first time. And it is to this man who lived without remorse or honor that I intend to dedicate myself, and to one in particular. This is the invisible man. Now let's hear the mother. The mother is the mother of the victim on the same date. While the left back of Italy's national football team was taking a run-up to deliver the decisive penalty in the 2006 World Cup, Giovanna Sordi got up from the worn sofa in the small apartment where she had lived for 50 years. She had no one to say goodbye to. Her husband, Amedeo, had joined Elisa 10 years earlier. From that day on, and every day since, she had taken flowers to put on their graves. And although she had never received any justice in all those years, she would find the truth now. Slowly, she crossed the living room of the small apartment. She passed by the closed door of the room where her dream was born and vanished. She went out onto the balcony, taking no notice of the jubilant cries of the people around and the crowds in the street. She knew exactly what to do. She landed on the pavement 20 meters below at the very moment the whole of Italy exploded into unrestrained joy. This is the incipit of this book. Thanks for reading that. So if someone listening hasn't heard about The Deliverance of Evil yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, this is, I think Jeffrey Deaver uh, has has given a very good description, uh, saying it's a nonstop thriller. Um, It's a long book, but the thriller is in every page. And actually, most of the comments I got from the the readers is that uh, there are very, very rare occasions where you can read a long book, and the only time you really understand the truth is in the very, very last page. I mean, this is this is a book uh, which is quite long because we are talking of six hundred thirty-one pages. But if you want to know who the killer is, you have you have to get to page six hundred 
131. And so that's the way, the best way to describe it in a certain way and just to resume it. Sure, sure. Well, well, I'm curious, do you remember what sparked the idea for the deliverance of evil? Because I know from reading your biography that, that this is your first novel. Had, had you <laughs> written fiction before? What led you to writing this? Well, uh, I do read a lot of fiction since I was a kid. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm no kid any longer because my age uh, is a little bit over 60. When I started this book, it was around 57 or 58. So I came late to writing uh uh, novels. I have written many management books. I'm an engineer and have been a management consultant for many, many years. Um, and those types of books are quite different from this. Uh, the idea of the deliverance um, was uh, started during these very long, long plane trips that I took all over the world because of my uh, full-time job. So if you travel from, uh, as I did very often, from Rome to New York or from New York to Saudi Arabia, or from New York to Japan, you have many hours on the plane, and I'm no sleeper on the plane. Uh, so um, because I read a lot of books and I read a lot of fiction since I was a kid, this, this idea started to grow in my mind. And every time I took a plane, which I did quite often for many years, the, the idea grew and was more complete, um, and I was taking notes. And up to the point where the whole of The Deliverance of Evil was actually in, in my uh, in not only in my head, but in my laptop. So I could just really had to get started and, and, and put it down. And so what, what was that experience like for you writing fiction after, as you said, working as a management consultant? Did you, was it an adjustment for you of, of having to kind of get into, you know, uh, the pace of writing a thriller? I think, you know, there, there are, all of us have uh, talents that uh, we are not able to express entirely during our life. And that's a pity. And um, yeah, it's a real pity because we, 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 you know, we have to deal with the everyday life. And this takes a lot of our time. And, of course, we start doing certain things and we keep doing them. But we know there are things that we really love to do. And uh, we keep postponing until, if we are lucky, comes a time where actually for a lot of combinations you're able to do it. Now, in my case, uh, the combination was that in 2008, uh, for the first time in my life, I found myself into a job. Uh, which was so complicated that I really couldn't sleep at night. I had worries and concerns that kept me awake during the night, which never happened before. I mean, I've, I've worked in, in Iran and uh, Dubai and Saudi Arabia and some difficult places around the world, but I never had that problem. So what happened is that because I couldn't sleep at night, I, instead of staying awake in bed, I decided I would go to this notes that I took on the plane, get on the PC and start really writing the novel. And I found that Fantastic, because, you know, it, it's something I always had wanted to do and never had the time to do. And it took my mind off of all those concerns and troubles. So I, I suddenly found myself writing uh, up to four or five in the morning and having, you know, to put my alarm clock to go to sleep for a couple of hours before going to office. So I think it's, what, it's really a wonderful experience. And I, I would encourage anybody that has a passion for something to try to find the occasion in their life to, you know, to do it. Uh, um, and uh, uh, while I was doing it, I could feel that I, what I was doing was exactly what I wanted to do since a very long time. That, that, that's, that's a great story. I, I don't think I've read any kind of management articles that suggest that you write a thriller to, to deal with like a stressful <laughs> situation. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? That writing thrillers uh, during the night, and you know, this is this Deliverance of Evil is really a book that is, is written during the night, and, and you can feel it while you read it. It's a night book in a certain way. 
Um, and it, it's so relaxing. I mean, if you like to, if you like to write, it's very relaxing. It takes your mind off a lot of troubles. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't suggest that if you have, everybody has troubles would find themselves having a benefit writing a book, but doing what they really like to do. Yes. I mean, that, that's exactly the point. If you, sure. if you have many troubles, you're able to shift to doing something you really love to do. That takes your mind off of some of the troubles. Sure. Well, well, you mentioned earlier about taking notes on your laptop on these flights and, and then going to your notes as you started working in the middle of the night. What, what was your writing process like? Had, had you outlined and plotted the novel before you started writing it? Yeah, well, first of all, I think I, 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 I did a little mistake. I, I said laptop because that was the conclusion. But when the first idea triggered... Uh, I really, there were no laptops around the world at that time, so I was, <laughs> so the, the first, the first starting of this Deliverance of Evil notes were actually during a phase where th there were absolutely nothing like that, the, sure. the, the laptop was actually my pen and pencil writing notes, and sure. what I had to do is go along with that, and make sure that in a certain way we were able um, later on to not to confuse all these notes because you know a laptop and word processing helps you put the notes in the right order but at the time when I started writing this there was no laptop so all the notes were mixed up and when I came to start writing what really happened is that I had all the pieces but I didn't have the whole idea which is normally the opposite of what you would do in a sense I said normally you would have the whole idea and then from there you deliver the pieces um, and uh, here there were a lot of parts which were written down, uh, many, many pages, actually, but somehow they were not entirely connected. So I went through a different process than the usual one. And, and that was very interesting because uh, I think it gave me uh, much more freedom uh, because writing a thriller normally requires, uh, a, you know, a scheme so that you know that you're doing that. And, uh, and you know what you're doing. But uh, writing a thriller without the scheme, just having the general idea, gives you much more freedom. And then you can put the pieces together later. And, of course, you have to adjust some timing and some details and some of the clues. But I think it gives the, the reader, in the end, a, a fresher impression of the passion that was there. Because uh, the, the, the scheme, actually, the plot is important, but it constrains uh, the, the, uh, the, the whole thing. So I think in a certain way, the opposite process, the bottom-up process, uh, which really started by, by mere chance, is actually the best. And this is the one I'm using right now. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So um, what, has, what has been the, the response or the reaction to your uh, protagonist um, of Deliverance <laughs> of Evil, um, yeah. Michelle Balistreri? Well, Michele Balistreri or Michelle Balistreri, Mike Balistreri, as he's called really in the second book when he's a kid, um, uh, Michele is really a very controversial character. We had all sorts of reactions uh, here in Europe, and I, I love to see what the reactions are going to be like in the U.S., because certainly we, we, we are not talking of the usual uh, type of investigator. Michele Balistreri is a policeman uh, by chance. That's not what he really wanted to do in life. Um, he is very controversial in terms of background. He's an ex-fascist. Ex he has a definite view of women that women wouldn't really like uh, in most cases, I guess. Uh, and, he, and he's not a very good investigator unless he puts his passion on it, which he doesn't do very often. So what is interesting, and many, many readers have actually told me, normally when you read a book and you follow the line of thought of the detective, you get closer to the truth. I mean, a, a good a good novelist would um, 
keep you a little bit uh, behind the detective, of course. But, you know, if you follow the thought of the detective, you get closer to that, to the right conclusion. While if you follow the, the, the logic of Michele Balistre in the first 100 pages, you actually get far off from the, from the truth. That's because of his prejudice, uh, because of his view of women, uh, because of a lot of things that people don't like about him. But uh, having said all these bad things about him, uh, there are also the very good things. He's a very particular man. The, the loyalty part of Michele Baristeri is uh, beyond, beyond any reasonableness. He's a man uh, that lives and doesn't really care what happens to him. Um, so in a certain sense, he can have the extreme honesty of those very few that don't, you know, that don't think they have to make their living every day. And they don't care. If, uh, it's like if he doesn't care if he would die the same evening. And that's the way he lives. And, and that's because, of course, of his past. And the past is in the second book. The, the past of Michele is in the second book, which has to do with when he's a kid and all that. But uh, that way of living leads him to be um, perhaps uh, hateful under certain circumstances, but extremely, extremely honest. Um, and his honesty is somehow um, disarming for many people because it makes us feel that we're not that pure as he is in a certain sense. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, are you, you, you mentioned the, the second book of his childhood. Have you started working on that now? Yeah, no, no. The second book is actually already published oh, okay. in, in Italy, and it's being published in the UK, I think, this month, and in most European countries. The cycle of publishing of these books is basically following the logic that it's being published in the home country, which is Italy first. Then okay. it goes through the rest of Europe. The Anglo-Saxon countries, which means England, uh, Australia, and South Africa. Uh, and then the last is the U.S. So this is what happens with the deliverance of evil. The second book, which is called The Roots of All Evil, is already published since, since some time in Italy. And it's being published now in the Anglo-Saxon uh, European countries, South Africa and Australia. I think the U.S. will be about one year from now. So yeah. now I am actually in the process of finishing the third book, which completes the whole the whole. Uh, the whole of these three three books, then then we'll see. And so, uh, given that you're you're uh, working on the third book, I, I'm curious do you do you have ideas beyond this trilogy that are coming to you? Do you, do you think you'll be writing more novels? Yeah, I will be writing more novels, but um, uh, notwithstanding the fact that these books are selling an enormous amount of copies over here in Europe, and therefore. Uh, of course, the publishing houses would prefer me to continue with Michele Balistreri. You know, when when you when you get a good um, a, a good path, you'd like you know normally if you want to make money, you would have to continue with the same and maybe make ten or twelve books with the same character. Uh, nevertheless, because I am not really in this business to make money, I, I fortunately I made my money during my thirty years as a management consultant. I like to write the things that I like to write and which I feel people like to read. So um, I'm afraid that after three books about the same character, uh, there would be not very much more to say about about this whole story. So I'm going to move. I have already an idea for the fourth book. I'm going to move to a different story, uh, which is actually a very uh, controversial story because it's taken from a true, it's inspired by a true fact. And uh, this true fact has uh, at its center, actually, an American student that uh, that got involved over here in Italy, in in a um, in a terrible um, in a terrible murder, and uh, they have been now uh, herself and her Italian boyfriend uh, uh, 
uh, tried for four times, and they've been now uh, convicted to 28 years of jail. So this is this is the true story. But sure. I'm, I'm, I'm taking inspiration from that because you cannot really write a thriller about a true story, first of all, because I personally do not know what the truth about it is, and I will not even dare suggest anything about it. So, But the, the interesting thing about this story, about what happened to Meredith Kircher and Amanda Knox and Rafael Solecito, is the fact that these were all students. Basically, uh, I know this is awful to say, but basically very normal students, very similar to most of the students that I teach in the university, they're not very different. So, um, which, which, which means, unfortunately, this kind of things can happen to our kids. Um, it has to do with, with all sorts of things. And so what I think is interesting about this story is the mix of nationalities, the, the play that the media have had on, on, on the trials, uh, the very strong influence, both from America, from UK, from Italy, um, both pushing for different solutions. So I'm writing something that it's inspired by that, but it's not strictly the, the reconstruction of that because that's something I would not do. Sure, sure. Well, well, that sounds interesting. We'll look forward to that. So I wanted right. to go back for a moment. When, when you finish writing, you know, you describe writing in the middle of the night to take your mind off of this stressful job. When, so when you finished The Deliverance of Evil, what was your path to publication like for getting the book published originally in Italy? <laughs> this is a very interesting story. If you'd like me to tell it to you, I mean, stop me if I'm too long about it. Well, no, no, I'd know, like to hear it. I'd like to hear it. You know, I, I'm the father. I, I'm married since 20 years, and I have two kids. That at the time, the girl was, uh, at that time, uh, seven, 16, and the boy was 15. They're older now, but they were 16 and 15. And suddenly, they, you know, they found this old guy, which is how they call their father, uh, who was working during the night at this at this uh, story? He was, you know, writing a thriller. Suddenly, this is a management consultant. They've been, a, you know, they've been seeing this very serious man in very blue suits for all the, his all his life. And suddenly, they they see this guy writing a thriller. So they kept, you know, telling their mother, "Well, is is he mad? I mean, what what's happening to him? I mean, this this is <laughs> nonsense. Nobody will ever publish this this stuff." And um, so even when uh, Rizzoli, which is one of the most important publishing houses, decided to publish it, you know, they were kind of, you know, uh, surprised. And they said, yeah, well, but how is this happening? I mean, maybe some, maybe, you know, because in Italy we're very much relationship based. So they were hinting at the fact that because of my job, I knew somebody at Rizzoli. And that's the reason why Rizzoli <laughs> was publishing the book. So it's interesting, you know, if you think of the relationship between fathers and kids. Uh, and so... So what I did when I printed the story, I actually sent it to Rizzoli and um, uh, with, with very, you know, I, I thought it was a very good book from the very beginning. I, I, I sent it to them not knowing exactly what's going, what's going to happen. And I, I sent it to them because they, uh, Marsilio, which is the, the part of Rizzoli, which publishes uh, Stieg Larsson and the other thrillers, I think I thought was the right um, editor for that, the right publishing house. And, and, after 15 days, they wrote me a message and said, we'd like to sign your contract. So <laughs> that's just as simple as that. And, and, and that what happened, we published the book at the Corriere della Sera, which is the most important newspaper in Italy. When the book came out, uh, I was astonished myself. I have to say they wrote two whole pages, two central pages about the book, saying that this was the best thriller published in Italy in the last 20 years. And. And, and, and so I told I called my wife at home and I said, you know, this is great. Buy the newspaper and have the kids read it. Uh, so you know, this makes. Uh, and so when I got home in the evening, I thought we would, you know, they would be happy about it. Nobody was having even talking about it. And so I was 
kind of surprised. And then, so when they went on their PC, I asked my wife, but did they read the article? And, and my wife was kind of embarrassed and she said, well, yeah, they read the article. You know what? The boys comment, boys are always more, you know, controversial with fathers. Uh, the boys said, well, this means that Italian literature is really going down the drain. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so that's the whole story. And, and uh, uh, it's fun. I mean, this, and uh, I actually have to say that um, Fabrizio then became a big fan after that in the, uh, the second book, uh, uh, which is about Mike's and Michele Balistrieri's story when he's 17 or 18. I had very difficult, very I had a lot of difficulties with the dialogues because you know when you get to 60 years old, it's very hard to put down real dialogues of a 17 or 18 year old kids, and he helped me a lot with that. So you know we recovered after that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, when you were writing *Deliverance of Evil*, what books or writers inspired you? What What were you reading? Yeah. Well, uh, I have to say that uh, uh, I'm not. I'm. Uh, I, I, although I have read since I'm a, since I was a kid all sorts, and I keep reading all sorts of uh, uh, fiction books, uh, starting from Agatha Christie and Ellery Queen when I was a kid, and the, and Aristotle Gardner and the classics. Uh, the, the, the most, if I had to say something about the, the deliverance of evil in terms of atmosphere and structure. I think something like, uh, of course, is, uh, and, and I apologize for a comparison with somebody that it's unreachable, uh, Raymond Chandler and his Philip Marlowe, and that type of atmosphere is really what inspires me. Um, and if I, so that, that's in terms of a book. And in terms of, again, in terms of atmosphere, if, if you have uh, ever seen that wonderful movie, at least I consider it a wonderful movie from this Italian Sergio Leone, the movie is called Once upon a time in america with robert de niro um and uh, that, that's the type of atmosphere about the deliverance of evil in this type of book sure sure well uh, given your experience thus far with uh writing the deliverance of evil and the second book in the series and now you're working on the third what what advice would you have to someone who may be listening who's an aspiring writer and would you know ideally like to get their own novel published any, any advice in terms of the writing itself well, as I said, this um, uh, because now that I am on the third book, uh, because this is a trilogy, so there is each of the three books is you know self-contained. You know the you know who the murderer is. In, at the end of each book, there is a story. You know the murder, but there is a cross story to the three books. So obviously, the third book is more constrained in terms of plot. And actually, that I got get back to what I said before. I think uh, you don't need. To have a very strict plot to start reading, start, start writing a book. If you have a good idea, I think you should. Uh, my advice: don't wait until you feel it's perfectly in your mind. Uh, get started. Um, that, that, so my my real suggestion: you have an idea, you feel you want to write, get started. Get started because once you get started, uh, the ideas will grow and the idea will change, and you will be able to adapt it, and you will even be more natural in what you write instead of having a perfect plot entirely written down and, you know, and, and, and being maybe constrained by that. So my suggestion is really give it a try and start without even knowing exactly all about it. Of course, you need to have a general idea. And when you're finished, uh, well, I'm not an expert in that. I, I, as I told you, I think I've been very lucky. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry for the immodesty, but I think the book was a very good book. That's why we saw the actually, even if I was not 
was this, this was my first book. That's why they sent me a contract after 15 days. And actually, they sold so many copies that they are certainly very happy about that because um, they, they took advantage of my very little knowledge of the market. So I, I think the, <laughs> the, the contract is very much in their favor, which is fine. I mean, I mean, they trusted. Uh, they 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 put a they placed a, a bet on it, and I think that's fine. It's their reward. But what I mean to say is that in the end, when you finish reading uh, writing something. Um, I think you have a honestly I, good idea of whether it's something very good or not. Uh, and, and so what I'm saying, frankly, I, I, I knew it was something very good. And that's why I didn't really bother too much to find relationships or anything. I, I have sent it, knowing it was very good, uh, I have sent it to, to the best publishing house I thought could, who could publish it. And, um, and probably I've been lucky, I don't know, but, but clearly the book was good. And so... I think it very much depends on the or how much you are convinced of the quality of what you have done. Sure. Um, I, I think America, particularly, is such a wonderful country because uh, you are a country uh, which, contrary to Italy, if somebody is able to do something very well, uh, I don't think you need to be lucky to get it through. I mean, here you need to be lucky, even if you do, if you don't done something very well. Over there, I think there is more merit and and more openness and. Uh, uh, less relationships issue and more substance issues. And, and, uh, and so I think anybody that would be able to write something very good, he would find somebody who would publish it. Sure, sure. Well, well, that's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Roberto Costantini, author of The Deliverance of Evil. The book is available in bookstores now in the U.S., and it's available as an ebook as well. So go buy a copy. And Roberto, thanks for doing this interview. Jeff, thank you very much, and thank you for all the, the people that have listened to us and who, anybody who would uh, uh, write the book and wanted to give me any comments, you can go to, to Quercus, who's the publishing house, and let me know. I'll be happy to have some comments from the U.S. That's great. Thanks again. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.